Good morning. Two weeks in a row. We are rolling. This is, uh, I announced to the, if you weren't here last week, I announced to everybody last week that um, this is our second week of 15,000% increase in attendance. It's, a, it's amazing. After preaching to John for three months straight. So, well, we've been answering this question or maybe looking at this question the last few weeks as we look at Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. And the, the question is this, what does faith look like when you're just over it? And, and I don't even have to describe it anymore to you, do I? Because we've looked at it all week, and we've stared at it all week, and we've heard about it all week, and we've, we've even talked about it all week long. But the question for us, especially as followers of Jesus, is what does faith look like when you look around at the world and you just think, I'm over all of this? What does it look like? I heard a quote recently that kind of describes it this way. Faith takes a lot of work, and it takes every piece of you, heart, soul, mind, and spirit. And then, after you've been at it for a long, long time, God ambushes you. God ambushes you, and that's how it feels sometimes, doesn't it? I guess maybe my, my closest, um, maybe the best fitting description of it would be it was kindergarten and first grade, I remember it. It was 1985 and 1986. I was on a soccer team in Blair, Nebraska. It was this co-ed soccer team, and we averaged as a team one goal per season, <laughs> per season. In two seasons of soccer, we scored two goals. Now, luckily, when you're in kindergarten and first grade, you're, you're really not in it for the, the record in the final standings or the championship. What are you in it for? You're in it for the orange slices and, and maybe just like hanging out with your friends. And soccer really at that age, unless you're, you really know what you're doing, it's really just where's the ball? Oh, just follow the mass of kids running around the field. That's soccer at that age. But as we get older, something happens. We start looking around. And what we start doing is we start comparing outcomes, don't we? Because I look at my neighbors and I look at maybe coworkers or, or you look around at the world around you and you start to compare how am I doing compared to how they're doing. And what we see, especially on social media, we see everybody else's highlights, don't we? So you don't see the everyday. You, a lot of people post their highlights and the picture is not even the real picture. It's been heavily edited, heavily, heavily edited. And so you see a highlight. And what we tend to do is we associate, oh, they have God's favor. <laughs> but what about me and what about my life? And, and so the thing I want to bring up this morning is we go back into Hebrews chapter 11. We were in 12 last week, but I want to jump back into Hebrews chapter 11 this week. The thing I want us to consider is this. Is there, has there, could there be a situation or a set of circumstances that could cause our faith to dwindle? Because a lot of times, in fact, most of the time, life is not serving up a set of circumstances that we often want. And it's that set of circumstances we talked about last week. We want smooth, right? I want smooth waters, smooth sailing, I just smooth all the time. And that is not what life brings up. In fact, there are really three areas, three conditions, three circumstances that often affect our faith. As I've looked around and even as I've looked in the mirror and thought back in my own life. The first one of those conditions is, is this, it's not clear. Not clear means I look around at life and Lord, I need everything to make sense. And even when we're reminded in his word that his ways are not our ways, we look around and we go, okay, well, God, that makes no sense. 
And that makes no sense. And so we hesitate to step until everything makes sense, right? I mean, isn't it true there may be a decision right now that until you have more information, and I understand doing due diligence, but isn't it true where you've gathered all the information you could possibly get, and yet you still don't have all the information? And so what do we do? We wait, and we hesitate, and we pull back. And when we look around and things aren't clear, that becomes a reason for our faith to begin to wobble and our faith to begin to wane. But when I look at Hebrews chapter 11, it's so interesting to me that what is an obstacle to us is actually an opportunity for them. Read this in Hebrews chapter 11 if you have your Bible. Otherwise, it'll be up on screen. He's just going through a list of people. He's like walking down the hallway, and they call this the hall of faith. He just says, think about this person. Verse 4, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Now you read that and you think, what? God, if, if he pleased you, then why? Why would you not leave that here on earth so that he could continue to work for your glory? Why was he taken? The writer of Hebrews goes on, verse 7. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. And surely Noah looked around at the sun, at the clear skies, and when told to make an ark, he went, that, well, that makes no sense. God, that's not clear. I was reminded of this about six months ago. I had a neighbor um, who, is, who has been very clued in to all developments coronavirus, even before it got to the United States. And she came up the street. I was outside, and she said, Nathan, does the church have a COVID-19 plan yet? And do you remember the first time you heard that phrase? You're like, a what? A COVID-19 plan? I mean, that makes no sense to me. And in a real way, we can begin to understand what Noah must have felt like when it said, listen, you're going to need an ark. What? The, the skies are clear. Lord, yeah, you're just going to need an ark, okay? The writer of Hebrews goes on, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. This is driving down the road, and you don't even know what turn to take. Verse 11. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, 90 years old, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. So you look around and you go, Lord, this makes no sense. By all human reason and logic, this makes no sense. And the Lord says, exactly, exactly. And oftentimes, if, if you're anything like me, you look around and what God is up to in this world often feels like there's this, there's this book that was, that was written in 1978 called The Book of Heroic Failures. And in the book of Heroic Failures, I'm sorry, it was written in 1980, but they talked about the firefighter strike of 1978 in London, in London, England. And so what happened were the firefighters went on strike and the army was brought in to replace them while the firefighters were on strike. Well, one day they got this call to, it's the classic cat up in the tree. And so the firefighter or the army in place of the firefighters, show up. They get the cat down from the tree. The woman is so pleased, she invites them in for tea. And then they leave. 
And while backing out, they backed over the cat. And I thought, isn't that how it feels a lot of the time? Lord, what you're up to makes no sense to me. A man named Max Dupree said it well when he said, often, faith is not grown from having all the answers, but from living with the questions. See, when it's not clear, it's not an obstacle. It's an opportunity. Let me go to another obstacle, a second obstacle. We have not clear, not fair. Not fair. I mean, we we don't have to look far lately, do we? To look around and hear the chorus of not fair, not fair, not fair. And not fair, really what it says is it looks around and rather than putting our eyes where they ought to be, it looks left and right. And we say, well, they have something that I don't have. Or they don't have something that I have. This is Peter looking at John. Remember, Jesus has been crucified. He's resurrected. He appears to Peter as if that's not enough. And he says, Peter, I'm going to reinstate you. And then this is how your days are going to play out. And it's like Jesus gives Peter a glimpse into his future. And Peter, what's he say? What about him? He's pointing at John. What about that guy? And you want to stop and go, Peter, Jesus, who who just died on a cross, who has just been raised from the dead, is talking to you. And he's specifically giving you a picture of how your life's going to play out and that he's going to use you and he's reinstated you. Is that not enough? Peter says, I want to know about John. Tell me about John. And as much as we giggle at Peter, this is what we do. He says, will it be fair? Jesus, will it be fair? And the writer of Hebrews, again, brings us back to where something that has been an obstacle for us so much of our lives is an opportunity for them. And you know this one, don't you? Because parents, when the kids say the phrase, that's not fair, you say, life isn't fair. fair." And it's so fun to say to somebody else. And it's so not fun to hear ourselves, isn't it? Well, here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. And see, this is where I want to be, right? Isn't this where we all want to be? These are the ones we tell the Sunday school stories about. These are the ones we like to preach about. These are the ones we like to talk about in Bible study. Because that's what the, I want the outcome of my life to be, where we just see these mighty, mighty things happen. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, 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 that's, that's not a complete list. It's not just the victories that you've seen. It's not just the triumphs. There are, there are some tragedies as well. He continues. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. You go, what? What's he getting at here? Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. There's a story about Isaiah the prophet who who wrote this book that is just this, it's just this pinnacle. It's this mountaintop in scripture that you get to. 
And legend has it. Extra biblical sources say he was, he was placed in the trunk of a tree and sawed in half. So there were those who were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And the next phrase is so interesting to me. The world was not worthy of them. Well, wait a second. That's not the message I take away from that. See, when, when I face a fraction of those things, and I mean a minuscule fraction of those things, my response is, God, where are you at? Where are you at? And that must say something about my value in this world. Writer of Hebrews, with the word of God, says, no, no, no. The world was not even worthy. Not even worthy of those who were mistreated. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. A study was done about a decade ago about what disaster does in the life of people and specifically in the faith of American people. And about 30, 30, 35% said, well, it, it causes me to lean into God. I actually grow closer to him. But there were a slew of answers that had to do with the doubts and the questioning, and these are very natural human things. But in that list of answers, one of them was, it makes me wonder what I'm doing wrong. But 70% of all people surveyed said it moves their attention to God. See, what we see as an obstacle may just be an opportunity. When life is not clear, when life is not fair, and there's another condition, when life, we only describe it as not yet. See, not yet, you know what that is? Not yet is me thinking that I'm gonna finally arrive in life. I'm gonna finally get there. All those hopes and dreams that I had at whatever age are finally, finally, finally gonna come to fruition. And if I'm not getting there, then God, are, are you still here? Are you still here? Not clear, not fair, not yet. And yet all you have to do is survey Hebrews chapter 11, and the writer is addressing the not yet of life. He points out, go back to verse 7, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Not yet seen. That means even though it's not what I hope it to be, do I still believe that he's doing something? He goes on in verse 13 through 16. We looked at this in, in week one of this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Can you imagine being given a promise in this life and not receiving it? Well, for any of us, that's enough reason to go, huh, where are you at, God? They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would, not, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Not he has given, he has prepared. That means that promise, it's still good. That means that promise, 
when this life feels like not yet, God says, oh, I, I have something prepared. I'm going to do something with that promise. I've not forgotten it. Finally, verse 39, he said, these, this whole list of names, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. You know, I, I have to get on my soapbox for a moment. If there's anything that uh, increasingly agitates me, it's, you know, you watch the Super Bowl, you watch the World Series, you, you watch, you know, the national championship. And what will happen is after a team has won, there's this interview. And there's this verse in Philippians that coaches and athletes love. You know, they're hoisting the trophy and they say, well, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And I go, yeah, that's true. But coach, that's, that's not your verse right now. See, were you saying that when you went winless? And if I had been older than kindergarten and first grade, I have to think that that verse would have been far more comforting for me when we had gone two seasons averaging one goal a season and had not won a game. See, maybe that is closer to who that verse is for. But, but we love to do this. We love to first arrive and then point at faith. Once I've arrived, then I'll point at you, Lord. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, no, no. We have a whole litany, a whole list of people in Scripture that they had to cling to, if they had had that verse, cling to that verse. While while life was not clear, not fair, not yet. Because 23 times in this chapter, you know what it says? There's a phrase. And anytime something gets repeated in Scripture, pay attention because that's the emphasis. 23 times, by faith. When life is not clear, when life is not fair, when life is not yet, by faith. And so God answers the not clear, not fair, not yet of life by placing faith in the hearts of those who walk through those situations, doesn't he? And it should bring up a question for us. Is my current not clear, not fair, not yet, is it an obstacle to faith or is it an opportunity for it? A man named, sometimes you just come across somebody who just says it best. A man named Charles Stanley, he says this, and and this would certainly apply to Hebrews chapter 11. God takes full responsibility for the life that's wholly devoted to him. If you need evidence of that, Hebrews chapter 11. And as we'll discuss next week, if if this whole list of people had lived today, you know what they'd say? Even when life didn't look clear, God gave me faith at the cross. Because the cross was the picture of not clear. God, this was your plan? This makes no sense. The cross was the picture of not fair. The, The blameless, perfect Holy Son of God placed on a cross for our sins? Not fair. And not yet. What must people have been thinking as they watched him get nailed to the cross? Not clear, not fair, not yet. And yet God, in generation after generation, he places faith in the hearts of people who walk in those situations. Faith in that event in the, in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, it's easy to read this and go, well, that, that was their world, Nathan. 
And sometimes you just see it. After looking at a chapter full of stories, I was reminded of this just in the last 72 hours. I've been away for a couple days, I was doing a wedding for a a groom and bride-to-be, and as we've been talking the last couple months, um, I learned more about them. I learned that five years ago, this bride lost her dad to cancer. Just over a month ago, as we're planning this wedding, the one she was planning with her mom, her mom lost her battle with cancer. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, God, what are you doing here? Not clear, not fair. And for her, not yet is not in this lifetime as far as her parents seeing her get married. So the ceremony was actually held at this church. We'll put a picture of it, of it for you. It was a, a Swedish church built in 1881. It was the church she grew up in. And back behind the church, there was actually a cemetery. And as we, as we walked into the chapel for this, this wedding ceremony, uh, all I could think was not clear, not fair, not yet. Because in that cemetery are the ashes of her parents, one that she lost five years ago, one that she lost just over a month ago. And, and you know, I always tear up when I'm doing a wedding, just when, when the doors open and the bride enters. It's, a, it's an emotional moment for everybody. But this was especially emotional because as she came down the aisle, she was escorted not by her dad, not even by her mom, but by her brother, who is the only immediate family left that she will walk in this life with. And she got to the front, she took a rose, and she placed it in the place of her dad where he would sit. And one in the place of her mom where she would be sitting. And yet the whole time, we've got on this wall behind me, and we'll put a picture up. This is this Swedish saying, and uh, I had to ask somebody, I don't know Swedish, okay? But it says, it, it translated means glory to God in the highest. And as I looked up at that wall and I looked up at that cross, I still am thinking, not clear, not fair, not yet. And so her brother stopped. I said, who gives this woman to be married to this man? He said, her parents and I. We do. And she beamed. She beamed all the way through the seminary. We got to the reception And I noticed this sense of dread growing in me throughout the reception because you get to the part of the reception where there's a mother-son dance. And so the mother of the groom danced with her son, the groom. And then I thought, well, are they they just going to move past this? But the DJ announced, we're going to play a couple songs in memory of her dad. And, And immediately I said, okay, honey, we need to move to the back of the room right now because I am turning into a blubbering mess. And then they turn on country music, and I'm reminded why I don't listen to country music because, because the song was I Loved Her First by a man called Hartland. And as that song played, her dad's brother came forward and danced with her. Her brother came forward and danced with her. Uncles people who had played a role in her life came up and danced with her. And I just thought, Lord, it's not clear. It's not fair. And this is a not yet. And then I looked at the bride's face. And there was no brokenness there. 
because, and I, I see, I, suddenly it dawned on me. I went, there it is. That's what God does when life is not clear, not fair, and not yet. He places faith in the hearts of those who walk through it because she beamed. And I immediately thought back to the last few months as we talked through marriage and what does it mean? And she said, for me, faith is everything. Because what she has walked through, all the not clear, all the not fair, all the not yet, has cultivated a faith that goes beyond any of those conditions and situations in this life. What Charles Stanley said is true. God takes full responsibility for the life wholly devoted to him in the form of a measure of faith in the work that happened at the cross. And so she came into her wedding day beaming. She walked through it beaming. She walks forward from it beaming because there is a joy rooted in faith that goes far deeper than not clear, not fair, not yet. Let me pray as the man comes up. Heavenly Father, we are uh, reminded, we're reminded that there is so much we could look around at and say, that's the reason that I'm doubting. That's the reason my faith is shaky. That's the reason I'm not sure about this. And you respond. You respond with a knowing glance and a knowing gaze at us. You look at us and you say, I know. That's why I've got to do it, because this world will never satisfy. It will never look fully clear. It will never be fully fair. And there will always be an element of not yet until Jesus returns. And so, Heavenly Father, if our faith, if we feel over it, looking at everything around us, place our eyes back on you and your work on our behalf at the cross. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.